Sean mentioned it 901 today about not every 31, 32 years. I kept trying to understand the theological implications of what 32 years had to do because really I didn't have time to watch uh, the game last night. I didn't even know there was a game last night until he mentioned that this morning. And I think it's wonderful that the Wildcats beat the Gators. And I told my wife, I said, we can't, can't call our, uh, her brother, my brother-in-law, because they bleed blue and orange. So I don't think we need to talk to the Gators today. We'll just, just enjoy that for what it's worth and remember why we're here and what we're doing, even if we're a little tired from last night. I wanted to do a couple sermons today and next week when we have our fellowship picnic talking about stewardship. And before you think I'm going to talk about money and you get up and leave, I'm not going to talk about money. Um, You've heard enough about money before. You may even hear a little more about money somewhere along the line because it does take money to keep this beautiful church, to keep this organization moving, to keep us trying to do what needs to be done for the kingdom of God within the confines of this church. So sometimes we do need to talk about budgets. Randy, I'm sure, will be talking about that. We'll talk about charge conferences and all that. And it depends on your stewardship. It really does. What you are willing to give is how far we can go. But today I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about each and every one of us, the essence of who we are and what we're doing and what we are really willing to give of ourselves. Ignacy Jan Paderewski, the famous Polish pianist, made his first tour in 1891. He won over the American audiences in no time at all with his powerful and his passionate playing. And it was during one of those performances that he injured his finger quite badly. And yet, instead of stopping, he decided he wanted to continue on and, in fact, completed the entire tour of 107 concerts, even with the bad finger. He won over the American public so much that they invited him back next year, 1892. And he came once again touring different cities and wonderfully playing that piano in a style and in a form that no one had ever really heard before. He was passionate. And during one of his performances, once again, he injured a finger. I don't know. I haven't asked Brian about this. Maybe, maybe injuries to fingers are just something that happens if you play the piano and the organ. But he injured it quite badly. And during another performance, after he had injured it, the wound opened up again during his performance. But instead of stopping, he continued on with that concentration and that focus that only Paderewski could have. And at the end of his concert, we are told that the entire keyboard of the piano was covered in blood. You might say he had a real passion for his work. And I am reminded of that story whenever I read Scripture like we're about to read today as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And he talks about a problem that they have, as he did with many churches, and reminds them about what they are really supposed to be about. So you may join me in your Bibles. You may join me on the screen as we read from 2 Thessalonians in the third chapter, starting with the very sixth verse. And this is what Paul writes to that church. 
Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It would be difficult to state the matter more clearly than Paul does in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. That indeed we may be saved by grace, but we cannot be idle in our faith. We cannot be idle in our faith. There are things that need to be done. There are tasks that need to be accomplished, and we are responsible for those things. The church needs to earn its keep You can't just be saved, check off the box and sit in the pew and wait for everybody else to do it. That's not what you're called to. The Thessalonians were dealing with a particularly wrong-minded group of believers, and they were testing others' patience and faithfulness in the Lord because they sat around moaning and groaning and judging others. They weren't doing any meaningful work. They were just occupying space, and they started to interfere with everyone else's life especially with the life of the church. And that idleness made a real handful for some of these Thessalonians. They were continuing to try to do their work, but it was made very difficult by these who were being idle, who were being lazy, who were sitting around and not committing and not engaging. They said it with their lips, but they didn't say it with their actions. Little wonder that Paul was worried about those who were doing right, that they might grow weary and tired of all of this, and soon they'd be sitting down. Some people were faithful in serving Jesus Christ. Others were not. Some looked at everyday work as something important. The Jews, the Jews there at Thessalonica, valued hard work. Matter of fact, they felt that spiritual work was even more important than manual labor. They thought those who studied the scriptures and interpreted the scriptures and applied them to everyday life were really doing great work. And perhaps those who were doing manual labor were a little further down here on the ladder. But they valued those people who were doing hard work. There were the Greeks there in Thessalonica. 
They felt work was rather demeaning. Most of them felt that the slaves should be doing the work, especially the manual labor. Don't let's get caught up in this work stuff. Let's sit around and eat bonbons. And then there were even those in Thessalonica who thought that the coming of Jesus Christ was right around the corner, so why work at all? Let's just sit and wait. Let's have a good time until Jesus shows up again. And yet, you know as well as I do, that's not the command he gave the disciples as he ascended. He said, go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That sounds to me like, well, there's work to be done. There are things to be done, and we're supposed to do them. The church at Thessalonica had all sorts of excuses for not going to work. Is it really so much different than we are here 2,000 years later? Don't we make excuses for not working? Somebody, I quoted it this morning, somebody said that the perfect summer day is a glass of lemonade, a cool breeze in the shade, a soft music, and a broken lawnmower. Because you can enjoy those things, and heaven forbid, you got to mow the grass. We come up excuses all the time. Washington Post did a survey a number of years ago to come up with uh, some of the best excuses that people had given their boss for not showing up to work. I thought you might enjoy a couple of these. Number one, I'm stuck in the blood pressure machine down at the Walmart, and I can't get out. It's a good one. Another one, I just found out that I was switched at birth. Legally, I shouldn't be coming to work, knowing that my employee records probably contain some false information. Okay? This is a good one. Everybody's used this. The dog just ate my car keys. We're going to have to hitchhike to the veterinarian. This one, this guy worked overtime on this. I can't come to work because I need to attend the funeral of my wife's cousin's pet dog because I'm the dog's uncle and I'm a pallbearer. Oh, come on. That's got to be good. Last one is my favorite. My legs fell asleep while I was sitting on the toilet. When I stood up, I fell and I broke my ankle. You got to work on some of these things. You can laugh. You know darn well you've thought about it once or twice. Some people think of anything to get out of work. Some people will come up with all sorts of excuses. We may complain about work, but most of us really have the responsibility deep inside to see a job well done. We want to give 110%, and we really admire those who will give 110% in their work. We take pride in what we do, and that means in the work of the church, you should also take pride in what you do and what you give. Martin Luther King used to say, if a person is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, as Beethoven composed music, or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the host of heaven and earth will look down upon him and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did a job well. You and I appreciate people who don't cut corners, and I would imagine every one of you don't want to cut corners in what you do. You take pride in your work, and I'm not talking about 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. You take pride in all of your work, and you should also take pride in the work that needs to be accomplished in his church.
We appreciate people who go out of their way to do things right. Isn't it easier to do things right? It's not much harder to do things excellent than to do things mediocre. And there's a great deal of satisfaction in doing a job well done. There are two things I want you to consider today out of this scripture. Two things that I want you to take with you as you think about your stewardship, the stewardship of you, of who you are, and what you're willing to work at. The things that you are committed and engaged with in the life of the church, big C and little c. First and foremost, please don't be idle. Don't live idle lives. May your faith in Christ be so committed, so committed and so passionate that you want to give your very best, to give of your time and your talents and your treasures the very best, not what's left over, not the excess, but the very best of who you are and what you have. John Wesley wrote many, many, many years ago a quote that is wonderful to live by. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. Which means we never stop. We never stop trying to give our best of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, of our treasures. If we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, if we want to follow him every day of our lives, don't give him second best. Give him the best that you have. And do that because in your hearts you know that's what's right. I read a story about a long, long time ago at a Reader's Digest about a fellow who worked for a duke and a duchess in Europe. And they were reviewing the staff, and this guy came before the duchess. James was his name. And the duchess looked down at James and said, James, how long have you been with us? And James said, about 30 years, ma'am. And the duchess continued and said, well, according to my records, you were employed to look after the dog. James said, yes, ma'am. And the duchess continued, James, that dog has been dead 27 years. And James replied, yes, ma'am. What would you like me to do next? Does Christ really have to tell you what needs to be done? Does Christ have to tell you what needs to be done next? Are we sitting around waiting for a Damascus Road experience, a flash out of heaven, a New York Times banner? Or do we know deep down inside what our work really needs to be? A job well done. A job well done is what Christ expects each and every one of us. And I'm talking about the effort you give in His church each and every day, not just on Sunday morning, not just to check mark, yeah, I showed up at 11.15, I showed up at 9.01. I'm talking about working for the kingdom. Shouldn't we be thankful for the best gift that we have ever received by giving our best back? Shouldn't we want to do something that is really, really good as a definition of how excellent our lives really are in Jesus Christ 
or don't you feel that way? Christian faith is an activist faith. It's not about sitting in the corner, meditating or praying. There's a place for that. It's proper and it's necessary. But the Christian faith is an active faith. That means we got to get up and go. We got to get up and do. It's about witnessing and winning. It's about confronting and converting. It's about feeding the hungry. It's about visiting the poor. It's about visiting those in prison. We're an army. You know, the old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, is not just a good tune to sing. That's what we're supposed to be about. Onward Christian Soldiers. We're an army. And the church needs people who are willing and ready to go and to do their part. We are called to redeem the world, folks. We are called to walk in the footsteps of the Master. Christ has called us to live excellent lives because of the life that He lived. We are called to live lives of mercy and majesty and excellence because that is our example in Jesus Christ. You know, even if we didn't have a record of Paul's letters, Paul was passionate about his ministry to Jesus Christ, his ministry to bring Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. If you go to Acts and you look at his travels, you see that he had at least three missionary trips, and the second of those amounted to about 3,000 miles. 2,000 were on foot. 2,000 miles on foot. The average person walked about 20 or 25 miles during those days. That's why you found Roman inns placed about 20 or 25 miles apart. So you'd walked as long as you could, and then you spent the night in an inn, a filthy, bug-ridden inn. And then you got up, and you started walking the next day. I'm sure that Paul walked through snow-covered mountains and through fields and down roads where there were thieves and crooks. And in places where there were animals that could eat you, Paul walked and walked and walked. He didn't do it for his health. He did for the spiritual health of all the people that he was seeking out. He took his work seriously. He gave everything to Jesus Christ. He prided himself in a job well done. And now he's urging the church at Thessalonica as he urges us to do exactly the same. Do not be idle in your work for the Lord. There is much to be accomplished because we are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. And let us always be reminded that the church, the church is a place of rest, but it is not a place to rest. Church is a place of rest, but it is not a place to kick your feet up, to lay back in your lazy boy, and to rest. There is much work that needs to be done. The other thing I want to remind you of is please don't be a tepid busybody. Please don't be a tepid busybody. Take the work that God's given you and, and concentrate on that. Stop worrying about everybody else. You got enough on your plate. You give 100%, you do it well, you're doing fine. You've heard the adage, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That may be true in our culture, but it should never be true in the church. Never. 
Because my next question is, where are those 80% going to live? Heaven or? All of us are involved in church. If we're not, why are we here? Don't be a tepid busybody. Rick Warren, you know who I'm talking about. He says this, do you know what the worst sin is for Christians? It's not adultery. It's not murder. It's not sexual perversion. It's lukewarmness. Lukewarmness. Lack of passion for Jesus Christ. He writes, these people have the attitude that God is just another thing in life. You know, I got my social life, I got my career life, I got my school life, I got my sexual life, I got my family life, and this little slice of pie over here, this is my church life. And sometimes I wonder if that slice doesn't get smaller and smaller and smaller. And God says, how dare you? How dare you? I love you so much. I love you passionately. I created you. I planned for you. I gave you purpose. I sent my son to die for you that you might be saved. And this is how you show your love. You turn to me and say, I'm sorry, God. But there's a good TV show on tonight. Kentucky is playing Florida. Paul used the term busybody. Busybody concerning those people who were really concerned about what everybody else was doing and not about themselves. A person who might be idle in body, but not idle in mind. They were spending all their time looking around at other people going, ooh, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, uh Busybody, not accomplishing anything. There were lots of those at Thessalonica, poking themselves into other people's affairs, gossiping and spreading all types of rumors. And that certainly wasn't helping the church and certainly wasn't growing the kingdom. You know, it's easier to be a busybody It's easier to be a busybody than to meet the needs of others for ministry. Why? Because it's so much fun. Let's be honest. It's so much fun to be in other people's business and not necessarily in our own. And some of these lukewarm Christians in Thessalonica brought a negative attitude in it because not only were they into other people's business, but they were judgmental in the process. You know, the Bible has never asked us to judge. I've told you that before. Not once. Stop judging. Start loving. Stop judging. Start loving. They had time on their hands and gossip on their lips. You know anybody like that? In the end, they were living idle lives. They were concerned about others, not about themselves. And let me leave you with this thought, that there is a vast difference between putting your nose into people's business and putting your heart into their problems. Let me say that again. There is a vast difference, vast difference, between putting your nose into people's business and putting your heart into their problems. One is extremely easy, and the other one demands an awful lot. You know, I believe Paul would have enjoyed Paderewski, I think he would have identified with that keyboard that was strewn with Paderewski's blood because Paul, like Paderewski, was dedicated to hard work. He had a passion for the task at hand. And of course, as you and I both know, it was a blood-stained cross that brought forth that passion in Paul. 
that bloodstained cross of the one who was willing to give up everything for you and for me. So, what are you giving? What are you giving? And I'm not talking about your money. That's between you and God. What are you giving of yourselves? What's the work that you're doing? Are you giving it all or are you just giving this tiny little slice in the pie as it fits in with the rest of your lives? Are you idle in your faith? Or is your faith passionate that you want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you want others to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to work so hard, harder than you've ever worked before for the glory of his kingdom that you might spend all of eternity there? Or are you ready just to lay back in the lazy boy chair and point the fingers and say, hmm, 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 hmm. we have a world filled with that. So much more is expected of us of Jesus Christ. So much more is expected of us as followers of the living Lord. And I don't think there's one of us. There's not one of us who wants to stand before the judgment throne of God and ask the question, what do you want me to do next? We already know what he wants us to do. Next is already here. We cannot plead stupidity nor ignorance. We already know. But are we willing to work? Are we really willing to do that which it takes? Are we ready to be committed to his church? Are we ready to stop leading idle lives? We all want to go to heaven. The question is, is how bad do you want to go? What are you giving? What are you giving? How hard are you working? And who are you working for? Would you bow your heads with me, please?